So today we're currently living in a time of uncertainty. We've all gone through the pandemic and it's created this environment that's caused us to abandon the safety that we once knew. In business, this is the tried and true process, the way things have always been done. And now we have to trust our instincts to create an environment that is now safe, productive, and effective without actually risking the loss of team or culture. Hi, everyone. My name is Hesse Jones, and welcome to Tech Uncensored. Some companies within the technology industry have actually led the way during the pandemic. The first ones to actually adapt to remote work. They had ready infrastructure to easily morph while the traditional in-person organizations actually struggled. So by now, everyone begins to see this new world that's evolving. And what are the expectations from employees now? No longer is anyone expected to go back to the status quo. Today, companies have to be different. They have to think differently. They have to adapt to this new world because we're not going back. So leadership needs to lead the way in navigating these new expectations and how things change or perhaps not. So today we're talking about leadership for startup founders. And we welcome Carlos Granda, former Google VP of customer success, advisor and mentor, and someone who frequently talks about the role of leadership in creating a culture that can sustain a crazy or horrific event like the world we lived in, in the pandemic. So welcome, Carlos. Hello, Hensi. Thank you for having me. No problem. So let's start. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about your experiences um, in technology and where, where even you started and what led you to what you're doing today. Sure. So uh, from an experience perspective, I've been in the technology industry for over 30 years. I started my career as a developer, as an architect, as a project manager, doing a lot of consulting, working with lots of different clients. But then I think we all realized that uh, I wasn't very good at it. So they decided to have me lead. I was probably better at leading teams and running P&Ls. I made a transition to the software business. And so I worked in companies like SAP, Salesforce, and recently at Google Cloud, leading customer success. The Google Cloud experience was probably the one that I think challenged leadership in general. And there was no playbook for a lot of us to go through as we went through the pandemic. Starting at Google and being at Google and building a team at Google through the pandemic was, uh, it was a very rewarding experience, challenging, but also an experience that I don't think uh, a lot of us that went through the pandemic would never forget. Okay. So we're talking now about leadership for early uh, stage. We actually need to guide and inspire at the early stages of business. And something I've read is that while team and idea are important, poor leadership is a common reason why many startups fail. So from your perspective, uh, what are the qualities that a leader must have? I think it's difficult to just give one answer to the question because I think every startup may be at different stages of their own journey. And if you're first getting started and, and you are a founder that uh, literally is working out of their garage by themselves or with two other people, it's different than we get to, you know, having a team of 15 or to, to, uh, having a team of 20. 
And so I think just as a leader, just in general, and I think it transcends sometimes, you know, different industries. I think you just have to be clear and crisp on sort of your vision, right? You have to be able to have a clear vision. You have to communicate effectively what that vision is. You have to stay focused, but you also have to empower your team and create a culture that gives sort of the team the option, gives them the ability, it gives them the freedom to give ideas and to create innovation. What I've seen is sometimes the founders feel like it's, this is my idea, this is my company. And in many cases, don't take sort of the ideas and thoughts from the rest of the team. And though as, as a founder, you have to learn to begin to create a culture as your team gets bigger and as you begin to evolve is uh, making sure you have a, a culture that fosters collaboration, fosters innovation. And that sometimes is the, the toughest thing for the founders because as they evolve, uh, they were the smartest uh, person in the room. And so now they have to start uh, leading the team and inspiring the team, not just telling them what to do. Okay. So uh, this, that kind of leads to the next question about effective leadership. So let's define that. And if, is there a, an actual unique combination of skills and experience for founders to be effective leaders? The founders, I think, need to learn to be adaptable and resilient. I think um, the founders at the very beginning where you're getting started, you are going to face lots of challenges. They're probably going to hear lots of times the word no, or we cannot fund you, or we cannot, we don't know who you are. And so they're going to, they're going to hit, get their door slammed quite a bit in their face around what they're trying to do. And so I think the skills is they need to be resilient, but they also need to be adaptable. They need to be empathetic with their teams and kind of where they're at. They need to surround themselves with people that maybe bring skills. There are gaps for them. I think like anybody, we all have blind spots in our lives. And as a leader, that's, uh, it's actually a very important piece of it that you need to learn to understand where are your weaknesses and sort of surround yourself with people that can help you fulfill those weaknesses or those blind spots so you can actually lead the team going forward. I think that's just, I mean, some of those things are just general leadership qualities, but I think for the founders, just being resilient, being scrappy. And never giving up on their dream is, is something that is a, a very critical piece. Okay. So let, let's turn to the pandemic and how it, I guess, in many ways upended the way business has evolved in the last couple of years. You talked about the idea of being resilient. And it, from this perspective, like navigating uncertainty, especially of the kind of magnitude that we've seen is is important and all of us have been tested all at once so what kind of expectation or pressure does this put now on the founder well the the pandemic as i, as I mentioned there was never really a playbook uh, we all have to figure it out and as a leader the experiences that we faced in the pandemic itself i think it transcended and I think it, it didn't matter the title you have, the title you had, how much money you make. It doesn't matter where you live. It didn't matter. The pandemic impacted humanity. And I think that it put us all at a level that we've never been before, where there was always sort of this almost a hierarchical way of looking at the world. But when you were going through the pandemic, everybody was equal because whether you were a CEO of a company, 
or you are, you know, the receptionist, you know, sitting in the front desk is you experience death, you experience well-being, you would experience different things that impact you. So we kind of put everybody at the same level. So now that we're in the post-pandemic era, that hopefully we'll never have to experience again, as we're in this post-pandemic area, then there's also no playbook. A lot of leaders are struggling with trying to figure out how to make that connection. And so I think at the end of the day, it's as a founder or as a leader, you got to focus on your employees' well-being. You have to be and lead with empathy. I think it's, it's about being authentic. I feel that when I've been successful of creating a culture where the team is high performing, they're collaborating, they, they do feel like a team and like a family is when you lead by example, you know, and, and I do compare leadership sometimes to being a parent for those who have kids is that you can't just tell your kids what to do. You got to show them what to do. And when I look at the, whether it is the good things my, my two sons do or the two things that drives me crazy are things is because they're mirroring and mimicking a lot of the things that we do, that I do. And so as a leader, it's the same thing. You can't tell the team just to be nice. You can't just tell the team, uh, collaborate with others. You can't tell the team, don't work on the weekends when you yourself are responding to emails and sending notes and sending guidance to your team on the weekends. So it's, it's probably the most critical piece of it is, is to lead with empathy, but also to build a strong culture is you got to lead by example. Okay, so in this post-pandemic era, and this is these are some examples that I, that I'm starting to see in my world, and in like my my kids' world, where they are now expected to go back to work. During the pandemic, there are people who who actually left the city, and they decided I'm going to move. I'm going to move further away uh, because during the pandemic, we don't know where we're, go we're going to to go back. And I can't afford to live in the city. So after the pandemic, companies had said, you know what, we're going to be hybrid for the most part. And those who have moved away, you know, you can re work remotely as long as you want. Now we're starting to see a shift. And there are companies, as you know, like Google, Microsoft, some of them are, are actually expecting people to come back to work. and. There has been studies that, that have shown that even during, during the pandemic, productivity hasn't actually slowed down. The, that issue with trust where you know that the work is being done and that you don't have to actually walk around to make sure that people are actually doing their work, that, that's not needed. So how, how does a, a leader manage that? about the expectations of, you know, what happens now? Do I need you to be in work, uh, at work? What are the trust infractions that may occur because of the decisions that they make? That's a definitely a loaded question too, because I think, uh, I think some industries adapted much quickly to the pandemic, even when we're going through the pandemic, um, like I myself, you know, and, and I, I don't know if I was one of few, but. I myself um, already did a lot of the hybrid. So either I was traveling or, uh, around the world, visiting customers, clients, my own team. And then usually one day out of the week, two days out of the week, if I was home, 
I may actually just work from home. And so I had a whole setup for myself to have sort of this virtual world where I can work from home, work at the airport, travel, things like that. So the only thing that forced was that now I was spending more time doing something that I already do at least one day, two days a week. It became the five days a week where I was. So for me personally, and I know a lot of people went through that too, the, the transition wasn't as difficult. But now that we're going back, I'm seeing different spectrums of people saying, you know what, just let's work hybrid. People can work in a very hybrid, flexible environment and world. And then they'll switch their mind six months later. And they're like, no, no, no. We need everybody at least three days a week because we're paying a lot of real estate for buildings. And so there isn't like the perfect answer because you can actually break it down, especially if you're a, a large company or a small company, depending on the role, depending on the function you're talking about. There is a lot of productivity that you can have by working from home, but you also can drive a lot of innovation by having people in a room. It's very old school, but having people in a room creates synergies, creates alignment, creates and inspires innovation. So there is definitely, it's hard to just give like one answer that is across the board for everybody because it really depends. You know, people can be productive. And then you can add another dimension to that is you can start thinking about generations. So you'll have executives out there, you know, probably later age in life where they're maybe they're empty nesters. So for them, it's like, look, you know, we need to lead the organization. We ourselves need to be in the office because we need to drive a culture where everybody's in the office. Then you have the younger people, you know, maybe even my own son's age, you know, kind of in the early 20s to, let's say, you know, 30s. They're like, hey, we've been in the pandemic. We were stuck for three, for three years almost. We want to get back. So they're excited. They actually want that social connection that uh, even though there's social media, but they still want that connection with people. And at least they want to be able to come in into an office. Then you have the middle management, sort of the middle layer of those three generations, kind of 30 up and higher that might have younger kids. And so now you're dealing with babysitting. You need, you're dealing with carpooling. Now you have doctor's appointments. And you have all these other things that have created this, well, wait a second, we kind of like this. I don't need to be in the office all the time. I like to work from home because I don't have a sitter or, you know, my wife and myself are trying to balance, you know, our own schedules. And so that in itself creates an interesting dynamic where you have leaders and young people want to be in the office, but the team is actually leading the young people or listening to the leadership team to around how to drive, let's say, you know, financial performance does not want to be in the office. And so the, there isn't really the, the right answer, but we are seeing quite a bit people trying to figure it out, trying to give their employees flexibility. But to your point around what are the measurements that you can create trust, I'm a big believer in culture. I think you got to earn the trust of the teams, the teams need to create and have a culture where they trust each other. I've always said, if you can do your work in an hour, then do it in an hour. If it takes you 10 hours, that's fine. And as a leader, the things that we need to worry about is really the outcome and the output that we're getting. We don't need to worry so much about they need to be in the office sitting right next to me doing the work because then you've not created really the culture that you are earning trust from each other. So I think culture becomes a very critical piece that allows teams to work remotely, collaborate remotely, hold each other up, 
accountable because that's a big thing. You know, you, it's easy. You have four or five people working remotely. It's becomes very easy within the team to see who is not pulling their weight, who is not creating uh, or delivering on the things that they were supposed to. So it creates, if you have the right culture, you create that sort of um, peer-to-peer accountability that becomes very important when it comes to leading the team. Okay. You mentioned a couple of things there, and I think culture culture is very important. And and I don't know that there there are those that are that are old school, as you talked about the gener- generational differences. And can you can you inspire and can you feel like you're part of the team if you are in the office, if you are in one place? But you as a leader still have to inspire to to grow a company and. In, in a time when there are disparate views about, you know, where, where do I have to hang my hat at the end of the day? Where, where do I live in the office or, or at home? And whether or not management agrees with me, you still have to continue on the current tra- trajectory of the company while you're building this newfound empathy for the team. Like, how do you, how do you balance that? And, and, how do you try to manage this evolving culture? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, I wish I had the answer, like the perfect answer for everybody. I think the one thing that uh, people always talk about, especially for, from an employee's perspective, I think always talk about having work-life balance. Um, and to be honest, I'm not a big believer. There is such a thing of a work-life balance because a balance means that I'm doing 70% of work, 30% of my personal life, or 50% of work, 50% of my life. That's like what a true balance is. I actually think that is, we all need to understand and acknowledge that there's no such thing as work-life balance, there's work-life harmony. And I think that's a very different way of looking at the world. It's okay if I'm on vacation and I need to take a call from a customer. My family understands it. My customer understands it. But I also understand it because I can't just go on on my vacation knowing that my customer has a potential issue. And as long as I'm not impacting the time with my family, it's okay to have a call. And so, obviously, you have to balance it and, or, or you have to have the harmony of, of the two things kind of living together. But we live in this world where everything is accessible real time. Right? It's all in your phone, it's on your tablet, it's on your laptop. You can be booking you know, an airline ticket or booking a dinner reservation, but at the same time, you're getting an email from a customer that it may be struggling or um, one of your employees uh, needs to take some time off because from a well-being perspective, there's, there's things that they just need to resolve on their own. So you can't just say, well, I'm on vacation. I'm not dealing with so as a leader, you need to truly understand that, but you need to make sure that there is that harmony, right? You have to find out who your, what your priorities are, right? No one's going to interrupt my family dinner. No one's going to interrupt me celebrating my son's birthday at a golf course. Like those things are important, but it doesn't mean that after my golf, I can go and respond to a need of a customer. And I think that's where if you create such a black and white view of the world where it's like it's work-life balance, it's a balance of development, it's harmony. You have to 
understand it. You will have to acknowledge it, that those two things are going to overlap. It's going to happen. But then you need to self-discipline around how do you actually create that harmony, make sure that doesn't interrupt the things that are more important to you, which is your family. It's funny how I look at the world today and I look at the world probably 20 years ago, 25 years ago when I started working and you never say, said no. You never said no to a request. You stayed until the work got done. There was just that expectation and the culture because I don't even know that empathy existed back then. I don't even think that was a word in the basic environment. And, and so now I think we're starting to see a shift where companies see a real risk of losing good employees or even harming their culture if they don't make significant changes. How do you see the future of work right now, especially with these ki- types of evolving, uh, let's say, employee expectations and being able to now prioritize their well-being? as opposed to their just work in general. How does that how does that change overall like the landscape and market for for employers especially as we start changing our technology, right? Yeah. Work. Yeah. I think it's um I think like I said earlier, I think people just need to and leaders, we need to be um empathetic. I think in this new world, right? We do. We have to. And because it's not just our team, but it's our clients, our partner. I'm a big in-person sort of leader. Like if I can fly to a city to meet my team and take them to dinner, listen to them, have a, you know, we used to call them coffee corners where they could, they, they would have ask Carlos anything. If I could do that, I would do it. I would go all over the world to do that because that personal connection is hard to replace. I mean, this gets you 80% there, 70% there. There's that 30% of the shaking of the hands of your team and being there present and acknowledging them uh, being there. It's you can't replace it. Um, but I think, as you said, look, technology gives us that flexibility to be anytime, anywhere. And so just find the time to ensure that you're making connections. It doesn't change the fact that you have to be authentic. You know, um, the pandemic taught us, we used to, I used to, we used to have this conversation with the teams as we were going through the pandemic. And I said, gosh, the pandemic just created such a personal connection because, you know, if I lost somebody in my family, it doesn't matter the title you had or how many people were under, under, it's like lost a family member, but somebody on the other side of the screen lost a family member as well. And so I think that connection is what made the pandemic for other leader to just be more human, right? You know, just to be human. There's always this thought that leaders are the superheroes. The leaders, you know, do no wrong. They dress correctly all the time. And, and I think the pandemic brought us a level of humanity as leaders. And so I think as in sort of in this new world is I think we just need to be empathetic I think we need to be, we need to not just, somebody told me this once and I love it. And I, you know, being a good listener, it's not just waiting your time to speak. Listening is actually being a good listener. It's actually understanding what's, what's coming out of the other side of it and, and kind of taking it and, and acknowledging and how does that hit us? 
Because there's always this exercise is, you know, people tell you what their name is. And then two or three minutes later, it's like, what was their name again? The reason why is because you're so excited to tell them your name. You're not even listening to what their name is. I think as the leader, we got to learn how to listen. We got to have our pulse around how our people, our teams, our clients, our partners are dealing with things. You know, sometimes it's not just, you know, they could be having a bad day. You know, but that bad day or they didn't deliver on something. Well, before you jump on people and get upset at them, just take the time to understand, is everything okay? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's not. And we right away, jump away, right away, slow. Carlos didn't give us this. He's screwing things. It could have been that I just found out that my dog passed away. Mm-hmm. So there's just little things where we have to just have a better sense of acknowledgement and empathy for what's going on in people's lives. I had, um, I think in the last couple of years, my sister is a psychotherapist. And so she always, she's always talked to me about being present. And I never got it because I was always too busy. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I would be in meetings. Let's say you and I were in a, a Zoom call and, you know, I'd be typing while I'm talking and not being really present, not really empathizing. And I got caught many times by, you know, not, not realizing that I had to do something or I didn't respond or I had to, I had to ask them to repeat whatever they said. And, you know, it, it really affects the way your relationship develops going forward mm-hmm. as you don't realize that every time you do that, that somebody realizes that your, their time isn't important, that you haven't put you're there, but you're not really there. And because we're we're always so busy, we wanted to get through the meeting and just make sure that we got those five points down and then just leave. So I made it a point, I think, I think it was post-pandemic to, to actually just really be present in every meeting that I am so that I can actually get what I was supposed to get and more out of that meeting. So that that taught me a lot. And the little, the little habits you create, whether you do them at home with your own kids, take them to work. I think those good habits, like for example, for us, it's a simple one. When I'm sitting down and having dinner with my family, there are no phones allowed, not just on the table, but not even in our pockets. Like it's not allowed on the table. Like the table is a time to talk and enjoy a meal. And it could be as simple as a cheese sandwich. It doesn't matter. It's a time for us to be together. And to talk. And, and so we've created that as a culture, as a habit. And it's interesting because now, you know, when we go to restaurants, my sons see other families on their phones, like a husband and a wife or a boyfriend and a girlfriend talking to each other and, and have the kids with an iPad right in front of them. And they get frustrated. They're like, I would never let my kids do that. It's just become such a habit that they are now fully aware of it. And when they go out with their friends, they started doing things like, hey, let's just leave our phones at home. Or they just leave them in the car. Only one breaks a phone for an emergency. Because I, I, I keep telling them that you want to be present. Why are you taking a picture of, the, of your food and sending it to your cousin in Pittsburgh when you're sitting in Orange County and how are your five closest best friends? Why would you do that? And so we do the same thing at work is have that respect. You know, I, we do have, you know, some specific rules when someone's presenting. It's like laptops down, take notes, old school and a piece of paper if you need to. 
none of this laptops up, none of this with your phones. Like pay attention. People are there. Listen. They prepare content. Let's give them the respect. And I, and again, if I don't do that, I can't just tell people. If I myself don't do that, and I'm disrespecting my own speakers up there, then guess what? It's giving everybody else the uh, freedom and the sort of approval that it's okay not to pay attention. So I think it goes back to the having some good habits, creating some good ways to treat everybody with respect. While at the same time, if you model that behavior, then people will fall. Thank you. So let's talk about a leader today. He's, he has to not only lead with empathy, but he has to continue to look at the objectives that he has long-term, short-term, while navigating now this new uncertainty that, that seems to be looming um, in the background. And he has to be ready for that. So it does this idea of crisis preparedness now gain a lot more prominence within an organization so that they can be ready when the sky falls. Yeah. I was reading this book that talks a, a bit about how do you lead? Um, and, and one of the things that really kind of resonated with me, and it's not just for leaders, but just as humanity in general, like how to be happy and how do you lead a team is that, you know, there's going to be a lot of emotions and feelings that you can't control. Just, you're going to have a day where you're having a bad day. Spill coffee on yourself, brand new suit or brand new dress, whatever. You're having a bad day. Or you heard some horrible news from your family. So those are the feelings you're always, or, or you're seeing the performance of your company or your own stock that's not leading, or, or you didn't get the funding you want. So you're always going to have these emotions and feelings, which you can't control. That's what makes us human. But how do you respond to that? It's the critical piece of it. And so I always tell people, it's like, don't react, respond. Because the easiest reaction, if somebody cuts you off in the, in the street, there's going to be some four-letter words coming out of your mouth and potentially some not-so-nice finger-pointing at people. What is that going to do? Just makes you, gives you the first 10 seconds of pleasure because you were able to vent out. But then later on, you're gonna, you realize that, you know what, it was an older lady, an older gentleman that didn't pay attention and unfortunately cut you off. They weren't being mean. They didn't wake up that day thinking that they're going to cut someone off. It just happens. So then you feel that. And so just, it's always good to acknowledge, I'm not saying to ignore them. You have to acknowledge them. You're upset. You're angry. You're hungry. You're upset. You're happy. Whatever it is, acknowledge it. But then learning how to respond. And so during this time is when, especially the founders, need to sometimes, you know, they're going to get, like I said, rejected by investors. They're going to get potentially rejected by the business. Someone's going to come in and say, they have a better idea. You're always going to get challenged. But I think that's where the founders need to have the resilience to respond. And they still need to lead the team. It's good to acknowledge that you got rejected. Okay. How does that make you feel? Great. Okay. Now let's go react. How are we going to respond? Are we going to just quit, throw the towel? Or we're going to kind of change our plans, adapt, be scrappy, get feedback. Why did you reject? What could I do better? And so just having that level of, of self-awareness, mm -hmm. um, it's very, very important, not just for the success of your business, but also to the success of the team. The team is looking at leaders. They look at leaders as like being the captain of a ship. 
when there's something going on or the weather's not going well, they're always looking at the captain. And the captain is the one that has to make sure that everybody tells them, it goes, it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's a huge storm out. But let's go figure out how do we live rather than sit there and cry or be upset about it. And I think that's where we're in this world where I think leaders need to be scrappy. Uh, they need to be resilient. Uh, they need to communicate and they need to inspire. That's great. Thank you. I, I'm inspired by that, actually. I think the whole thing about not reacting, but responding, responding in a way actually means that you're taking the time to not panic, but be able to think about logically what to do and understanding that the people who, who are under you are going to be looking at you for your leadership. So. Okay, one last well, How many times, yeah, one more thing on that one. Like, how many times have you received an email from someone that upset you? Or you, somebody sends you an email and you realize that they blind copy your boss oh my or goodness. your boss's boss? How many times we've come down? And so, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to respond and throw darts right back at them. And so, the answer is don't do it. That's not the answer either. I'd say write it down, write that email, pretend, like let all your feelings and emotions, let them out, go for it. Just don't send it, sleep on it. Wake up the next morning, read the email again and realize what you're saying, what you wrote back was productive. Does it make you feel better or was it the right thing to do? Or was there anything they need to clarify? And I would say 99% of the time, you don't send it. Because you realize your emotion, and that's what happens is you, the first one would have been a reaction versus the second one is a response where you can go back and say, hey, I saw that email. I didn't appreciate that because was there something I missed? You know, do you want to have a direct conversation with me? And that's just a better way, more uh, respectful way to deal with sometimes conflict rather than reacting. Oh my goodness. I, I think we need to have another episode on conflict. <laughs> okay. Okay. So one last question. So you yes. advise a lot of large companies and you mentor founders as well. What are some of the key pieces of advice that you give of leadership that transcends like all these organizations? Yeah, I think uh, uh, there's three things that I, I, at least I try to live by is to always have a clear vision you communicate it effectively to your team. Um, so many times the team doesn't even, doesn't understand what is our mission. They don't feel connected to the vision, the mission that we're trying to accomplish. And so just have a, whatever the vision is, be clear and communicate that to your team regularly. I think sometimes leaders underestimate how smart, how talented, how scrappy and how dedicated the team is and they don't like to share sometimes our challenges and i think it's actually important it helps them understand when you as a leader make a decision so that's my very first i think the second one is you have to create a culture of authenticity you as a leader need to be authentic and you need to lead by example that alone creates a culture where everybody can be themselves everybody feels and wants to contribute because they know that their ideas, their thoughts, um, 
you know, their suggestions are being listened. It's okay to say, I'm not taking every single idea from everybody. But I think we need to create a culture that allows people to be open and free to share ideas, share thoughts around them. And I think lastly, for me, I know sometimes it's touchy-feely, but I do believe that if you have a strong culture of a team, I think it empowers everybody to be successful. I think if you create a, a culture where you can be humble, you can be authentic, where you like to collaborate, that you are not there to kill or be killed, is you're actually trying to pull each other up. You're trying to be respectful to everybody's ideas. I think creating a culture that drives that is probably the biggest, I think, key to any leader, no matter the size of the company, is to be successful. If you as a leader create a culture where it's a kill or be killed, or I am going to throw the chicken leg in the middle of the table to see who grabs it, some style of leadership, that in itself will transcend into the entire culture where there's going to be backstabbing, there's going to be, you know, lying and going be, be, uh, behind people's back. And it's just, which is not a, not a great culture. And so I would say those are the three things. Have clear vision and communicate. Be authentic and lead by example. And then have a good culture. And create whatever those four or five values that you have. A culture is not, let's go and hit our performance and create more profitability. That's not a culture. Culture is how does a team navigate going forward? What are the core values? What's your mission? What's your purpose? And by the way, if you have a great culture, all the financial performers will come. I can guarantee you that. That's amazing. Okay. On that, that was an amazing uh, closing note. <laughs> and thank you so much, Carlos. That's all we have time for today. Before we go, where can people find you? You can find me on LinkedIn. So that's uh, the easiest way. You can also find me on Twitter. I think it's uh, my handle is at Granda Carlos on Twitter or X, whatever it's called nowadays. <laughs> uh, usually LinkedIn is where I see it. And uh, I'm usually well, I'll write blogs and I'll write a post. I recently wrote an article around artificial intelligence as it relates to customer success. And then I was working on another, I'm working on another one right now that I'll be posting hopefully by the end of November. I'm focused around leadership. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. And thank you, our audience, for joining us. Uh, if you have topics you'd like us to cover, please email us at communications at altitudeaccelerator.ca. And you could also find us at Tech Uncensored wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, everyone, have fun um, until next time and uh, be safe. Thank you, Ernst. Thank you. Tech Uncensored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemex. For more Tech Uncensored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.